Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 19th of February 2013. I always ask newcomers to make sure they make good use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You you'll never know how long it'll be up there, the way things are going with money and all the rest of it. But so you'll find over the many, many years I've put up information about the big system you're born into, uh, how we're professionally run. Uh, from We live with the managerial class of the world. It's been here for a long time. And I go into the history of the foundations that set themselves up at late 1800s, early 1900s, sound very official as though they're approved by governments. And technically they are by the ones who own the governments, like, like the Crown and so on. But uh, they're actually private organizations. And they put in your prime ministers, your presidents. They pre-select them regardless of the party. And they also put in lots, thousands actually of bureaucrats across the, the first world countries that have been doing that for a hundred years now. So bureaucrats, remember, are more important than politicians because the bureaucrats are there for life and they can get, really get their particular agenda through. They get their work out there their whole life and then someone else takes over and carries on with it, just like foundations themselves. Foundations, remember, can make an objective or a plan an objective which might take 200 years to reach by changing society's opinions, views, and so on, and hiring and retiring, hiring and retiring for 200 years. Nothing else to do except that same agenda. And there are lots of think tanks on board to do it. So help yourself to the audios, as I say. You'll start to understand the big picture of the system you're living through. And all the news stories are, are simply the fallout of the, the current state to go through the, big, the great transition, as they call it themselves, into the austere world society ruled under an authoritarian system. That's really what anti-terrorism is all about. Remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you. If you can keep me going, you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematics.com. I don't have support from advertisers or outside influences, and I depend on the listeners to keep me going. I'm just ticking over. And as Bill's to pay here, believe you me, uh, maybe even a new satellite bill shortly too, because I'm, I'm actually uploading on dial-up now after they cut me off last night. Again, they, they claim they didn't, of course, it's my problem here, but even, even to get their pair guy out and to get him to do what he did last time cost $500, which, and which, all I did, I'm sure, was just phone them up and say switch it back on again. But regardless, that's the games that they go through. And they really do play games like this in this day and age. So anyway, if you can support me, it'll help me take over a bit longer, perhaps, and we'll see, because there's been a lot of information come out from this particular broadcast, and lots of people across the world have really started to understand the, the big system, not just the, the localized ones, the national ones. They've come to realize this is a world agenda, and what one law is passed in one country is passed in all the countries, under different names, different names for the different laws, or same laws at the same time. So from the US to Canada, remember, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders from the post office. You can send cash or, or use PayPal. Across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. And straight donations are also really, really welcome at, at this time. And as I say, too, there's books and discs for order at the, on the website, cuttingthroughmedish.com.
You can get transcripts too and all those sites listed on the com site uh, for prints up. And if you went to Alan Watt Sentience, sentinel.eu, you'll find transcripts in other languages offered to you. But that's the whole thing, folks. We've been under this system for an awful long time, generations. And part of it was cultural wars. Uh, lots of it was indoctrination, generation by generation. Very, very speedy updates, in fact, on the, on the, on the, the kindergarten school, for instance. The ones going in this year, I'll be promote, I'll get more indoctrination along the future agenda. Uh, than the ones last year. That's how, how they work it. Every year is a step ahead, a step ahead. And they're trained literally to accept things which will come during their lifetime. They're trained at a very early age for it. It's called scientific indoctrination. Worked out back in the 1920s. It's, it's actually working by Bertrand Russell. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and as I say, uh, last night, right after I mentioned about, I says, don't believe the fact, that Canada, well, the proclaimed fact that Canada's abolishing this latest law on spying on the people, I said, don't believe it, and that's when they cut me off on ExploreNet, right, bang, that was it. So uh, I don't think they're going to switch me back on in a hurry, and I'll have to go through the rigmarole of getting the guy out. I spent $200, and then, of course, they always have to put something on it and fiddle around and give you a new unit of this or a unit of that. And it's always about 500 bucks. But this is what you get when you open your mouth, you see, sometimes. And uh, it really does happen this way. It really ha- it has happened this way before. <laughs> when I've said certain things, and bingo, it just happens. They just press a button, that's it. So anyway... This world, as I say, is, 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 the whole future is predetermined. And when you go into uh, various authors, like Carl Quigley, who wrote The Anglo-American Establishment, amongst other books, and he was the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, a private organization, it, it, it claims that it's the biggest think tanks for informing governments of policies. You don't elect them. No one elects them in Canada or the States. They're completely private. Uh, they have lots of the, all your top journalists are members of them. Your editorial guides are all members of them too. They don't apply to join. It's considered an honor and a privilege to be asked to join. And they really do their background before, and to make sure that you're a yes man before they'll take you on with the big agenda. So that's what, how your media is all run by a, a central command basically. But they also, as I say, put in politicians and vet them, and Quigley, who was their own historian with their own, pri- they have their own, own private archives of history. He said, in fact, that it was so important that the public know about them because they've been altering the world for a hundred years. They've been behind every big shift and every policy, even wars, and the public are kept in the dark about this. These guys, Winston Churchill said, uh, he, he found he was really out of the loop at one point, and he, got, he was furious to find out these guys who were starting the wars and, and causing the wars uh, and even backing the wars, because there's big foundations and top bankers that run the Royal Institute of International Affairs, CFR, he, he, he said that, um, he said these guys have the, have the audacity to even write the children's history books with a fake history in them. That's how bad it is, and it's been like that for an awful long time, as I say. But again, the groups who started this up wanted to bring in a world society where this minority would dominate everyone else. They would destroy the cultures of the first world countries, 
as, as, as along the same time, in other words, when they were taking down uh, the same countries back home. That's happening today. So they've used you for war to standardize the rest of the countries, and your tax money has funded it. Your, your men uh, have, have put their lives down for it, and the taxpayer picks, it, picks up the tab for it all. It's quite simple. One is used after another, and Britain did it for a long, long time, and then passed the flag to America, uh, and they carry it on. And then another country ends up benefiting from it all together. It's, it's actually all recorded history, and it's not no shock to people like me uh, and other ones who are the same. But we're living in, in the big change, the time of transition. This is the time for uh, say international manage- management, and they have international managers running the world. And again, unelected. They're all unelected. This is the time that Quigley said that they would bring out the feudal system. A feudal system where the new uh, overlords would be CEOs of international corporations. Now, the big international corporations were, are all real organizations and corporations. Very real, and they had lots of businesses on the go. But they also were set up by the same group that formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs. Uh, not just as fronts, but actually as parts of forcing their directed history through. Directed history, folks. That's what it's called. And we're well into it now. They said to the Club of Rome, another think tank which they own, Back in the 70s, that democracy wouldn't work. They would use democracy as they took down other countries and standardized them, used the term to keep all the plebeians happy back home. But um, they, they don't believe in democracy. They, they believe in authoritarianism. And even that article I read earlier on with, uh, with Paul Ehrlich, of course, and his usual crew, uh, affirmed that. They said they want to go ahead with their agendas uh, and, and let science rule uh, instead of, you know, debates and so on with the general public. Let science rule and let uh, the public catch up later. In other words, science should rule and simply make policies and we all have to obey. It's, it's that simple, folks. And again, Bertrand Russell talked about this in his books on science and uh, impact of science on society was one of them. Way back in the 50s, I think, when he wrote that one, or the 40s. And he said, too, that uh, there will be a dictatorship, a form of dictatorship, a, a tyranny, he said. Uh, he was well briefed on it, as many others were at that time. And he said that if, if there's to be a tyranny, I prefer it would be a scientific tyranny. And he said it will be ruthless. Uh, now, you've been trained for years that life now is uh, has, doesn't have the same um, uh, holy quality, let's put it that way, that it once had. I've gone over the writings and or, or the speeches and the writings of Julian Huxley, the brother of Aldous Huxley. And Julian, of course, was a member of Planned Parenthood, got all their awards, and he also worked uh, at the United Nations. And uh, he said the same thing: that we must train the public now that basically that life is cheap and that man has to get knocked off his pedestal as being the supreme being on the planet. Well, you've had that for years. Now, one of the big things was, as he said, we'll have to promote promiscuity. As long as they don't have children. No children they want, but promiscuity. Promiscuity, uh, as Bertrand Russell also found out with his uh, special schools that he was allowed to set up in Britain, uh, where they promoted pre-pubertal sex, by the way, amongst the the, the children. They found out what they expected to find out, and that was that uh, children who had lots of sex before uh, puberty would be hypersensitized towards sex. 
and they would not stay with one partner for very long at all. So they probably wouldn't have children, and marriage would go out. Because marriage was an enemy, you see, uh, even the Communist Manifesto. It's a very old manifesto, folks. And believe you me, the Marxists and the guys who started up the whole idea were also working for the same bunch who set up the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the, the capitalists. So we're, we're pretty well there, the destruction of the family units, the destruction of all moralities, we knew it. Uh, out of that came the abortion industry, so we accept that with, without a thought, without a thought now. I mean, they've gone on about uh, World War II and the Nazis, but there's more smoke going up the chimneys in every city across the U.S., uh, Canada, uh, Britain, and the whole of Europe than ever went up the chimneys elsewhere. Every day goes up, and we think nothing of it. It's just like getting a wart removed. I remember a woman saying that to her daughter. I couldn't believe it. I almost fell off the chair. It's like getting a wart removed, getting rid of a child, you see. So this is a society we're, we're in now. Most folk are trained this way and even train the ones who go through these things not to feel any guilt about it. And, um, and it seems to be working pretty well. Uh, another thing that Julian Huxley said and also... Uh, Bertrand Russell said was that they would bring in a society of hedonists people who are hedonistic self-love and uh, even with the guys believe it or not and with the fashion and all the rest they've got metrosexuals and etc etc well it's all here too and people who are hedonistic will not band together for a common purpose of or cause even if it's for their own survival they just don't, they just don't do it so you're run by scientific uh, themes and techniques, as I say, even from the kindergarten right onward. In fact, Russell said that if we, if we can get the children in kindergarten, he says, and indoctrinate them with a scientific indoctrination, then the, the parents will be allowed to keep their children. He says, we used to believe, uh, just like Plato would have to remove the children from their parents so they wouldn't get contaminated with the old ideas. That means old culture, old moralities, you see. And Russell says that we found out with experimentation that if we have them for four or five hours a day with scientific indoctrination when they go home to their parents, uh, whatever the parent says will not penetrate the child. I mean, I'm impervious to whatever the parents say. That's completely, completely done. And it's even, it's even put in all the different movies as they have comedies with Dumbo Dad and the child just laughs at anything the parents happen to say. So that's just the reasons for all, folks. Because the culture industry is, is a very important part of brainwashing you, brainwashing you and updating you as well with predictive programming. So there's nothing happening today that wasn't expected to happen by those who planned it. And for the few who understood it all, it's not unexpected at all, all the fallout you're having today with the massive globalization uh, on, the, on the go the mass of, of, uh, of almost forced, I'd say forced migrations of people across the world into the first world nations that are now overcrowded. They're having less children by themselves and they're, they're, they're putting them in to destroy what's left of the cultures, of the dominant cultures, I should say, or the regular uh, cultures of those nations. That's the purpose behind it. And there are lots of articles out there by certain people who are helping to, to promote all of this and who have a big say in what politicians and governments do. So, as I say, uh, they call this the time, the age of transition. And as they do that, there's never been such cheap entertainment for most folk, even though they're getting poorer and poorer. As long as there's lots of entertainment, they, they don't seem to mind. A great technique, never been done before. 
People used to start bitching uh, when they started to get hungry and so on, uh, and um, but not so much now. There's always some way they can get enough junk food cheap. Uh, God knows what's in it, mind you. <clears throat> and as long as they can do that and, and play their games and, and and surf the net, they seem to be quite happy and get lots of movies to keep them living in sci-fi land. But uh, we're seeing the fallout. And, of course, what happened to Greece and so on was planned a long time before they even signed the first documents. Remember Goldman Sachs, this big self-proclaimed bank of the world, basically, uh, is, the, is the same company that... Uh, gave the go-ahead for Greece to join the EU. They, in other words, they fiddled the books to make it appear that Greece was floating pretty well in order to get in. They did it for other countries too. Now, they didn't get touched or fined for, figuring, for rigging the books. Uh, and, of course, Greece collapsed because, it, because a lot of the stuff it was holding out was bogus. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. Now, Lord Rothschild said a long, long time ago that give me control of the country's money supply and I care not who makes its laws. Because he knew himself that uh, the guy who rules the money has a lot of say in what laws are going to get passed and not passed and all the rest of it. Believe you me, you're either a lender or a borrower, as you say, and the guy who's uh, lending to you has got a bigger say, especially when they got the, <laughs> they've got the country by the short and curly, so to speak. But um, when they formed, and they did form it with Lord Rothschild, this, this organization, uh, and, and the Cecil Rhodes uh, Foundation. Uh, in fact, uh, Cecil Rhodes left his will uh, to Rothschild. I think really it's because he was paid back for all the money he was given by Rothschild. But regardless, Rothschild's group, uh, Cecil Rhodes' group, then eventually joined with Alfred, Lord Alfred Milner's group. And he was, these guys were all big bankers. And a lot of them came from Germany, by the way. They weren't British at all, but they, based, they were based in London, and they set up the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And their foreign branches were called Council on Foreign Relations. They even have one for not just countries, but the EU. They have one drawn up for the EU, for, for the European members of Council on Foreign Relations. And that's the head of that one is George Soros. So he's in with them too. They're all there. Understand, there's no separate guys playing their own thing here. There's one head on this, one big capstone. And to say they run your news, uh, all your media, all your magazines. Uh, they decide what's, uh, even your science magazines, what you're going to be told is the latest, even if it's not, uh, in any area. And they keep you in the dark. And that's how you run people's minds. It's, it's, they only have the information that you dish out to them. You centralize it all and you control everybody's mind, basically, on what they think is real or unreal or whatever. But Quigley, again, to talk about this group, uh, in his books, because he was he was given the uh, he's put in charge of their archives, as I say, they have their own histories because they don't want the public to know that they've been behind every major shift, even all the cultural wars uh, and revolutions, cultural revolutions they've had uh, since the 60s onwards, because uh, they were behind it all and in promiscuity and making sure that the pill got out there at the right time and along with the miniskirt and then just do your own thing, free love, free sex, all that kind of stuff, on the go for a long time. Before they were called the Milner Group and Rose Society, they had other names and they were pushing it way back then. 
in the 1800s, free love. And that was H.G. Wells' first writings was about that. And he was picked up by Thomas Huxley to actually promote it. He was the best friend of Charles Darwin. So anyway, what we find that, um, we find that they talked about and say the book, um, the Anglo-American Establishment by Quigley and so on. He says they've been behind all the major things. Now, what they wanted to do was to set up standardized across the world central banking systems privately owned by their own appointees that would then lend to governments. That way they would control the world's money supply. Now, this group of central banks would all be under uh, the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland. We haven't voted on any of this, folks, uh, by the way. Uh, but that's the way it's, it's gone. And the reason it got pushed through in every country is because all the prime ministers and presidents have, have ever been uh, were, were members of the same organization. An image who was got through. Now, it says here that uh, who controls the money, an unelected, accountable, unaccountable central bank of the world secretly does. So other folk have, have caught on to this because I've been part more on this for years. An immensely powerful international organization that most people have never even heard of secretly controls the money supply of the entire globe. It's called the Bank for International Settlements, and it's the central bank of central banks. It's located in Basel, Switzerland, but it also has branches in Hong Kong and Mexico City. It's essentially an unelected, unaccountable central bank of the world that has complete immunity from taxation and from national laws. That's what they always do. Even when Rothschild came into Britain and took over the the banking system there, their books have never been opened to the governments or the public. That that was the condition they made. They don't get taxed. And uh, that's just not bad when you can, you know, you can actually sink countries if they want to open your books. Oh, I'm going to sink you tomorrow. Anyway, it says here that um, it says even Wikipedia admits that it is not accountable to any single national government. And the links are all, I'll put them all up tonight if I can get any speed up on the dial up here to, uh, for you to, to look up yourselves. The Bank for International Settlements was used to launder money for the Nazis during World War II. By the way, it was also used to launder the money to the communist Russians. They always say one thing but not the other. But these days the main purpose for the BIS is to guide and direct the centrally planned global financial system. Today 58 global central banks belong to the, the Bank for International Settlements. And that's not bad, eh? That's 58 private banks run the world, eh? And it's, and it's far more power over how the U.S. economy or any other economy for that matter will perform over the course of the next year than any politician does. Every two months, the central bankers of the world gather in Basel for another global economy meeting, they call them. During those meetings, decisions are made which affect every man, woman, and child on the planet, yet none of us have any say in what goes on. The Bank for International Settlements is an organization that was founded by the global elites, and it operates for the benefit of the global elites, and it's intended to be one of the key cornerstones of the emerging one-world economic system. It's imperative that we get people educated about what this organization is and where it plans to take the global economy. Sadly, a small percentage of people actually know what the Bank for International Settlements is, and even fewer people are aware of the global economy meetings that take place in Basel on a bi-monthly basis. These global economy meetings were discussed in a recent article in the Wall Street Journal, and I'll put the link up tonight too, again, if I can squeeze it up there on, on, on dial-up. Every two months and more than a dozen bankers meet here on Sunday evenings to talk and dine on the 18th floor of a cylindrical building looking out on the Rhine. Back with more after this.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the Matrix and talking about the Bank for International Settlements that was set up back in the 20s, I think, and it was set up on behalf and, and sponsored by and uh, actually uh, managed by uh, the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It was one of the big money. If you're going to take over the world, you've got to take over its money supply and all of its all the countries. Eventually, you amalgamate them together into blocks, trading blocks, just like Karl Marx said, and then you have them all competing with each other to the bottom. In other words, uh, that's where we're going. How can you compete with China? It's impossible living in a country like Canada, for instance, where you couldn't even get enough money to heat yourself if you're on their wages, never mind your carbon taxes. So anyway, we're all slaves in the system. This, this article goes on to say that every, every two months, more than a dozen bankers meet here on Sunday evenings and talk and dine on the 18th floor of the cylindrical building, looking out on the Rhine. The dinner discussions on money and economics are more than academic at the table are the chiefs of the world's biggest central banks, representing countries that annually produce more than $51 trillion of cross-domestic product, three-quarters of the world's economic outputs. Interesting, too, because you don't get to vote on any of these guys either, either that are put in place at the, the heads of these central banks, these private banks. That who goes on to describe the, the room that these global economy meetings are held in, and it sounds something out of a novel. This is the Bank of England's Mr. King leads a dinner discussion in a room decorated by the Swiss architectural firm Herzog and de Moron, which designed the Bird's Nest Stadium for the Beijing Olympics. The men have designated seats at a round table. They always look the round table societies because they rule the round table as well. In a dining area scented by white orchids and framed by white walls, a black ceiling and panoramic views. The central bankers that gather for these meetings are not just there to socialize. No staff members are allowed into these meetings, and they are conducted in an atmosphere of absolute secrecy. Serious matters follow, appetizers, wine, and small talk, according to people familiar with the dinners. Mr. King typically asks his colleagues to talk about the outlook in their respective countries. Others ask follow-up questions. The gatherings yield no transcripts or minutes. They've been so secret, you see. Because you're run by conspiracies, folks. I mean, when guys get together and conspire behind locked doors, uh, especially when supposedly they're representing you or, your, or the cash of your country, that's called a conspiracy. If you, don't, if you don't get it, two or more people conspiring against the rest. So there's no staffs allowed. So the fate of the world's economy is determined by unelected central bankers in secret meetings that nobody ever hears about. That certainly doesn't sound very democratic. But this is the direction the global governance, as they call it, is taking us. The elite believe that the big decisions are far too important to be left to the people, and so most of the international institutions that have been established by the elite operate independently of the democratic process. Sadly, the truth is that all of this has been planned for a very long time. In a recent article entitled, Who Runs the World? Solid Proof That a Core Group of Wealthy Elitists is Pulling the Strings, it's included in a quote from Georgetown University Professor Carol Quigley again from a book that he wrote all the way back in 1966, in which he discussed the big plans that the elite had for the Bank of International Settlements. And he said this, The powers of financial capitalism had another far-reaching aim. This is the only the group that Quigley worked for, and he was the historian for. Nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. 
This system was to be controlled in a feudalistic fashion by the central banks of the world acting in concert, acting together, by secret agreements arrived at in frequent private meetings and conferences. The apex of the system was to be the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, a private bank owned and controlled by the world's central banks, which were themselves private corporations. Back then, the Bank for International Settlements was only just starting to play a major role in global affairs, but over the years, the BIS began to become increasingly important. The following is an excerpt from an article by Ellen Brown. It says, For many years, the BIS kept a very low profile, operating behind the scenes in an abandoned hotel. It was here that decisions were reached to devalue or defend the currencies, fix the price of gold, regulate offshore banking, and raise or lower short-term interest rates. In 1977, however, the, the Bank for International Settlements gave up its an anonymity in exchange for more efficient headquarters. The new building has been described as an 18-story high circular skyscraper that rises above the medieval city like some misplaced nuclear reactor. It quickly became known as the Tower of Basel. <laughs> Today the BIS has, has government immunity, it pays no taxes, has its own private police force. It is, as Mayor Rothschild envisioned, above the law. And it is. You're run by private corporations and bankers. So yes, it most definitely does bear a striking resemblance to the Tower of Babel, as you can see from the photo, and I'll put the photo up tonight too. Once again, the global elite trying to unite humanity under a single system, and that is most definitely not a good thing. But many of these elites are entirely convinced that global governance is what humanity desperately needs. Well, we desperately need it if we want to be a slave, you see. They even publicly tell us what they plan to do, but most people are not listening. Again, I'll refer back to that uh, paper that came out by the so-called experts. They're all in with John Holdren and Paul Ehrlich and so on, that they should just run us scientifically now and, and don't care about our opinion. Don't even tell us they're going ahead with it all. And let, us ca- let the public catch up later after it's all put in place and done. This is, for example, the following is an excerpt from a speech that former president of the European Central Bank, Jean-Claude Trichet, delivered to the Council on Foreign Relations in New York. It says, in the area of central bank cooperation, the main forum is a global economy meeting. They call it GEM, of course, they love GEMs. A lot of them have that GEMs in their, in their names, one way or another, which gathers at the BIS headquarters in Basel. Over the past few years, this forum has included 31 governors as permanent members plus a number of other governors attending on a rotating basis. The GEM, the GEM, which in all which uh, all system, uh, systemic emerging economies, central bank governors are fully participating, has become the prime group for global governance amongst central banks. The speech was entitled Global Governance Today, and you can find the full transcript. I'll put that tonight here, the official one. But most people have never even heard that such a thing as a global economy meeting even exists because the mainstream media rarely discusses these sort of things. The reason being that they belong to uh, to this group, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, who set up the BIS and the IMF and all this and your central banking system. <laughs> so it's all owned by one capstone, you understand? And says that the media is too busy focusing you on the last or the latest celebrity scandal or the latest cat fights between Republicans and Democrats. If you go to the official BIS website, the purpose of the organization sounds fairly innocent and quite boring. And that's what they always do. The mission of the Bank for International Settlements is to serve central banks in their, in their pursuit of monetary and financial stability to foster international cooperation in those areas. That means running politics 
and those areas not, uh, and to act as a bank for central banks, right? In other words, it's the umbrella, it's the capstone for all the central banking systems underneath them. In broad outline, the BIS pursues its mission by promoting discussions and facilitating collaboration among central banks, supporting dialogue with other authorities that are responsible for promoting financial stability, conducting research on policy issues confronting central banks, and financing supervisory authorities. Interesting, financing supervisory authorities. Who are they? Acting as a prime counterparty for central banks in their financial transactions and serving as an agent or trustees in connection with international financial operations. The head office is in Basel, Switzerland, and there are two representative offices in the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region of the People's Republic of China and in Mexico City. See, they own the communists. They own it all, folks. You think, I mean, Russia is still communist. I mean, China is. I mean, I don't know if you know that or not. <laughs> Look at their flag and all that. Uh, it's a one-party system. And who would have thought that the communists would outcompete to all the capitalists, all you lots? Yeah, with, uh, well, they were, they were allowed that because the same guys who set up the Bank for International Settlements uh, run, have been run politics all along. They don't have to go and, and, and appear in politics themselves. They just tell politicians what to do. They set up the World Trade Organization. And the GATT Treaty and all the rest of it, allowing all your stuff, all your work to be shipped off to China. China didn't have these factories. And also, through the World Trade Organization, you paid for them shipping off to China. You paid for the ones in China to be trained to work lathes and all the other machinery they had to tra- We paid for it all in the West. And these are the boys behind it, the BIS, and the Royal Institute for International Affairs, CFR. Just when you start looking into the details, things get much more interesting. So exactly how does the BIS achieve monetary and financial stability? An article posted on Investors Insight describes how this is accomplished. It accomplishes this through control of currencies. It currently holds 77% of the world's available foreign exchange funds, whose unit of account was switched in March 2003 from the Swiss gold franc to special drawing rights, SDR as they call them an artificial fiat money with a value based on a basket of currencies. 44% US dollar, 34% euro, 11 Japanese yen, 11% pound sterling. The bank also controls a huge amount of gold, which it both stores and lends out, giving it great leverage over the metal price and the marketplace power that brings, since gold is still the only universal currency. And actually, they do use that. These are the same guys who got you all off the gold markets, so get in their paper money. <laughs> BIS gold reserves were listed in the 2005 annual report, the most recent, as 712 tonnes. How that breaks down into members' bank deposits and BIS personal stash is unknown. By controlling foreign exchange currency plus gold, the BIS can go a long way towards determining economic conditions in any given country. Remember the next time Bernanke or the European Central Bank President Jean-Claude Trichet announces an interstate rate hike, you can bet it didn't happen without the occurrence of the BIS board. This is an older article, I think it's newer folks, isn't it now? It says, in recent years it's been increasingly obvious who really has power over our economy. When Barack Obama speaks, the markets usually move very little. When Bernanke speaks, the markets often respond with wild gyrations. Well, it was long before Bernanke and Obama <clears throat> because even Greenspan, it used to be, it used to be when Alan, Alan Greenspan was announced he was going to come out and make a statement. It was like, it was like some royalty coming out on stage. Everybody's hushed, just 
and he would, that little crone of a man would come out and, and then just utter something, and everybody would either look very glum or they'd go into wilds, you know, paroxysms. A recent CNBC article entitled Central Banks, How Are They Ruling the Financial World? detailed the enormous impact that central banks had on the global financial system during 2012. And all 13 other central banks in the world have followed the Fed's lead and set interest rates at near zero in an effort to keep the liquidity spigots open and prop up their ailing economies. Those 14 economies represent a staggering $65 trillion in combined equity and bond market capitalizations, according to the Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. And this goes on and on and on, uh, who controls the money. Uh, but the basic thing is, this Bank for International Settlements, according to all the countries that have handed every, all their power over to, is above the law. It's completely above the law. It's a private organization that runs the world. There's no point. What's the point in voting uh, when the things that really rule you uh, are, 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 do what they want? Anyway, they, they tell governments what to do. They tell them what to do. As I say, and they also put in the guys on your left and right, to vote for. As I say, Quigley, their own historian, said there hasn't been a president or prime minister, and this was back in the 1960s, that hasn't been a member of this since the, the late 1800s. Well, it's well over 100 years now. So that's what runs the world. And it's fascinating, too, to go into the history of how they got these central banks pushed through, because, again, uh, again, Quigley does go through a lot of this and how the... Uh, for America, for instance, their man was Mandel House, his name was. He called himself Colonel. It was an honorary title he gave to himself. And Mandel House uh, really was a guy who was behind drafting up and pushing forward the, the Federal Reserve for the U.S. His go-between with the Royal Institute for International Affairs at the time was Lord L. Grey. And they got it through. And they gave Warburg from Germany, because they're very, very, um, it's not because they're really German. They're, they're, these people don't really consider themselves technically as German. But um, they got the Warburg over uh, and and put him in head of the, the, the central bank of the U.S. just in time for World War One. Uh, great how they worked it out. So they knew that they were going to have World War One in 1914. That took three years for citizenship once this thing was set up. So, so they set up just in time, put him in charge of it. And Warburg was in charge of the, the monies that the U.S. would lend out to other countries for World War I and also for the debts incurred by the U.S., supplying troops and soldiers and all the rest of it, too. And when they met at the Versailles Treaty, uh, the Warburg was sent over there to represent America. And who represented uh, the German debt? Uh, the other, his brother, Warburg. <laughs> no kidding. You couldn't make this stuff up. I mean, the cons of all. That's beautiful, really, isn't it? But these guys, yeah, they cause wars to get to, to, to what they want out of it. And some of the people who worked for them uh, as propagandists uh, also talked about that too, that they cause wars. Uh, they hoped to, to get the, a world government through by the end of World War II. Uh, many of the, the people in the United Nations talked openly about it towards the end of World War II. Uh, but the people in the countries were not quite on their knees yet with all these wars. And they didn't, they felt something stunk when the whole idea of world government really stunk and they wouldn't go for it. So they've, they've, they've given you just collapse after collapse after collapse, plus they've, they've, uh, they've deindustrialized you all and moved off to China and you paid for it all, as I say. Isn't that wonderful? This is the real world, folks. And again, too, they use academia because they need world managers and all, all academia is on board with them. 
Remember, this is even older uh, than what you think it is, too, even on the social agenda, because if you read the writings of uh, Aldous Huxley with Brave New World, written in the early 1930s, he was talking to um, uh, Blair, the real name of Orwell, and corresponding to about the kind of world that would be brought in. They knew that because they both uh, sat at one time on global think tanks, working further on the issue of international affairs. They knew the, the, what the plan was. A future world of um, a combined, you take the two books and combine them together, and you've got the authoritarian society with the big boot right now and the black goon-clad uh, guys that used to be called cops with machine guns, as they put you, transform you into the next system of total, the, the end, the, the, the far extreme of hedonism and promiscuity, just like Brave New World had in it. And that's what they're pushing all for, a scientifically controlled society, and the public are oblivious, or they feel, they, or they don't care, most of them actually. But mind you too, we've all been under warfare of many kinds. These big boys at the top also rule and own the big pharma labs. If you didn't know that the pharma labs are all parts of the big war industry. I hope you understand that. The war industry. They deal with bacterium and, and the virus, you see. And so they have their, their they, 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 do you think they just sit and make cures for things that never work anyway, but that's supposed to be their job? No, they, they, they handle the most dangerous things, they mutate them. And then they synthesize them as well, make synthetic viruses, then they inject them in you. And they know what the causes of autism is. They know why the IQ has been plummeting. They knew why the, the cancer rate's been skyrocketing. Because they always claimed at the start that they, they had an ideal population number, population for the world. And they're still going towards it. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. Also tonight too, to remind everyone that Katerina Jaliva, whose case has been ongoing in Utah to get her child back from the, the, the children's authorities there, uh, even though all the, 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 God knows how many pre-trials she went through, now it's the main trial, it's like a criminal trial, and even though all the pre-trials proved her innocent of everything, uh, she's still fighting to get her child back uh, through this, this real trial that's going on. And uh, apparently the, the trial was extended because there was some screw-up with um, affidavits and so on, and subpoenas for people to come in. So anyway, the final, hopefully, hopefully the final part of this, this one goes on, is February the 21st, Thursday, uh, February 21st. And you can call or email the judge, Mary Noonan, and ask her to do the right thing. Be nice, be polite in the whole bit, but see the world's watching, enough people are watching this, because it's been an incredible carry-on. It's really exposed a lot of way the, how the, the so-called child workers work. Did they go after children? They get a lot of money out of it. I mean, look, look at the money all the courts have made out of just this one case alone. It's an awfully lucrative thing for these characters. So, as I say, look at the website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and you'll see the details in the box there on the, on the page. Uh, but uh, people should phone in and, because this woman, uh, strange really, she's, she's a year and a half of, of hell doing this herself. 
and having to be up and trying to learn all the laws and all the rest of it and, and answer things every day and, and go to the court and, and phone the court up for new stuff because they don't tell you. There's a lot of dirty tricks goes on. If you don't reply to the stuff the court puts out because they didn't tell you, then you lose. And she's literally faxed probably thousands and thousands of things from the court over this one case. And she's after a child, which really gives you kind of hope that there's actually women in the world today who still have their natural mother's instinct as opposed to the, mind you, she was born in another country, I guess the culture was still intact, where it's been destroyed pretty well everywhere else. So I hope everyone will phone up and tell Mary Noonan to do the right thing and say that we're watching this because we've got lots and lots of the, the details on the previous cases or times it's going to trial. And hopefully this, this will come back to the affirmative and she'll get her boy back at last. We'll see what happens. But again, your support is certainly, certainly appreciated. Also tonight I'll put up um, a YouTube. I haven't seen it myself because I can't get any internet, internet on, on sunlight anymore uh, until I get cash get up to fix all. But it's by Brian Tyson. I think it was made in Canada, British Columbia. And some people have said to me that it's one of the best ones I've seen about smart meters and the, f- the effects it has on you. They all know that this is all part of this um, incredible grid we're living in. It's also a grid around your mind, remember. <laughs> it really is. It's, 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 it's a warfare technique. And big professors are really into this idea that we'll all start thinking the same. They can control our, our, our moods. They know that's old stuff, there, our moods and so on. Make us happy. They can even kind of drug you, in fact, in a sense, because they can make, a, they, can make they can trip little parts of your brain to start producing uh, sort of feel-good uh, chemicals. And there's many ways to control you. But the thing is, you're getting zapped by these things too. Brain cancer is going up to the cell phones and this as well, since we're living in this Wi-Fi field, which they're, they're completely aware of at the top. Have you noticed too? A lot of these, these guys that even go to World Banks, they don't carry cell phones. Have you noticed that? Look, even some of the top guys that, that dealt with making the cell phones won't touch them. What does that tell you? Anyway, from Hamish Marcella from Ontario, Canada, where there's still stacks of snow and more coming, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you. <laughs>